0: Welcome to the Building Books Podcast. I'm Glenn Yepeth, publisher of Ben Bella Books, and on this podcast, we will talk about ideas, authors, and how publishing really works. Welcome. Well, I'm very excited to be speaking with Rick Pascaccella. Rick's a double threat. Not only is he a literary agent with a renowned Glass Literary Agency, but he has 25 years of marketing experience, uh, most recently as a VP of Marketing at Penguin Group USA, where he had a staff of 35 and a $25 million budget. So he's seen a lot of big names, a lot of big books, and he's been around the block, and I'm excited to learn from him in this podcast. So, And we'll talk about the agenting, we'll talk about marketing, but just to even get before that, tell me about what attracted you to the publishing book industry.
1: Well, I always was a fan of books since I was a kid, and I think a lot of people who get into this business Start that way. Right. But I was also a consumer of media, all types of media and news. And I slowly realized that books are part of the cultural conversation. Right. Definitely. I wanted to be a part of that. And you can influence the culture if you work with books. And I think that's a noble and also entertaining
0: profession. And how did you break into the profession?
1: Like most people, I applied to a lot of, well, let me back up. I actually wanted to be a journalist. And when I got out of school, I found it was really super competitive uh, to get into journalism. This was the early 90s. And I, I just couldn't get a, I couldn't get a foothold then. So then I started looking at book publishers and the only thing I knew that publishers did was edit. So right. I'm going to try to be an editor. And those jobs are also extremely competitive. Yes, they are. So now, but along the way, I started to talk to other people and who who knew my background and what I was interested in. And they said, you should look into marketing. So I fell into marketing actually at Putnam Berkeley was my first job in 1992. And they were a growing company at the time. I started there in the promotion department, writing copy, and copy. And actually, I always tell people, I had a typewriter when I started. And we used to, part of my job was trafficking, which meant that you, someone would write a memo, you would make copies, right. and then you would go around the office and put them in people's inboxes. So that's how, that's how, uh, I remember those days, and how quickly things have changed. So, um,
0: you know, it's, it's just funny what you said about being interested in editing and then ending in the marketing side and, you know. We have great editors and I love the editing, but I think, you know, marketing is some of the most exciting part of publishing. And we definitely, I, I noticed at Bimbella, we've attracted people who wanted to get into publishing and to them, that means editing. And we were like, well, you, we only have something open on the marketing side. And it turns out they love that. And marketing is just, you know, compared to the editorial side, probably has more variety, more creativity in some ways, at least you know, there's just a lot to it. Oh yeah. No, it was a
1: blessing. I, I realized it right away, especially knowing how long and hard you have to work even as an editor, just to get to work on things that you want to work. on. Right. Um, but also because of the experience and the diversity with working with all of these different books, and it was so creative and you're right. The marketing, the strategies are somewhat the same. I think of what you want to do. I don't know how much those have changed. We'll probably get to that later. Yeah. I want to hear about that, but it's more the tactics change so often. So it's always something new. I feel like you always get to put on your lab coat and experiment in this
0: business. Right. And it's, it's changing. It's changing a lot faster than the world of editing is changing. Now, Now, what year did you join Penguin? So, yeah, so I left Putnam
1: Berkeley and I went over to HarperCollins for about a year and a half and to be honest, it was a shit show. <laughs> okay. um, and people were fleeing left and right. But it was funny because it became uh, an opportunity for me because they, I just kept picking up more and more work because, like, hey, can you handle this? Can you handle right. this? Right. Is this can Battlefield this? Promotions? Yeah. And it was, it was such the Wild West. I remember, uh, and people were leaving so quickly. I had a small interior office and like a big, Sales director left, and they weren't replacing him. I just picked up Hoover <laughs> and moved into his office and that's called my team. That's and great. There I am now, <laughs> but it was getting a little. It was getting a little crazy, and so it was. This was before they really did a, a very thorough restructure before Gene Friedman and all that, that right. time. So it was. It was a bit. Yeah. But anyway, um, I got courted to come back to Putnam Berkeley right as they were being acquired by Penguin. Or merging with Penguin. And it turned out that was a great opportunity. And that, that company really exploded over the next 10 years.
0: So you, you were at Penguin for 17 years, something like that? Actually, it was, well, yeah. And then, and with the
1: other side of it, it was over 20 between wow. and Berkeley and then I left and came back.
0: For so you've seen a lot of evolution. Mm-hmm. So how has marketing changed over the last 20 you know, years? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's what I was alluding to before. As far as
1: strategies, the number one thing that has always sold books is word of mouth that has never changed for as long as I've been in the business. I love,
0: I love hearing you say that. I've been preaching that yeah.
1: for well, years. It's true. So every uh, tactic and, and activity that you use should be thought of in the, with the realm of you're trying to instigate word of mouth. And the number two tactic, which has probably diminished in effectiveness, but is still the second best, right. is I saw it in a store which means that retail remains extremely important, at least if you want to break into the really mainstream book world. It can't just be a niche ebook book
0: So the people that are saying, you know, retail is dead and it's all online, you're not, you don't think we're there.
1: No. And actually in books, it's probably more mature than in so many other industries that, I mean, it's, there's still threats, there's threats from everything. It's always going to push and you're always going to fight. But you know, look at the independent bookstores that are still around today. Right.
0: And they're, and they're, they're booming. Yeah. They're
1: improving. The ones that are good are opening another location because they've figured out how to do that job really well in a small, you know, in a, in a space that they can operate in. Whereas, you know, music and TV and film are still scrambling to figure out really what their model is. And retail is really dead for that. DVD right. is never coming
0: right. And for a long time, publishers were looking at that model and were terrified that, that what happened to music where all the money left is going to happen to them. But it really hasn't happened.
1: No, it's, I mean, you know, things are changing. And I think, you know, and one of the reasons we're talking, I've said this to a lot of people, is that a lot of the, the large big five houses, their models are moving away from risk and on smaller books and on building. Right. And that gives a lot of opportunity to small and independent publishers who want to do their hard work of, of finding and growing and building authors. So it's shifting. I think there's still a ton of opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think about the, you know, like in films, Disney, all they do is, you know, the big animated films and the big franchise films, and they're 25% of the film business now. And it seems like uh, the big publishers are kind of going the same way where they want more sure things. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: But there are other companies that are coming in, like I say, to sweep in and take up those opportunities. I've seen it happen in all of the real genre fiction uh, markets: first romance, and now and now mystery. There's a, a few mystery-only publishers that have popped up. It's like uh, Crooked Lane, for instance, that wasn't around a few years ago. That just completely went in and took that that market. It right. was still kind of there. It just was maybe not big enough for some of the big fives to still
0: want to play in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, okay, so you said that two big things that maybe haven't gone away, haven't changed, word of mouth and retail observation or are seeing in the stores. Um, so what has changed? What have yeah. been the big evolution? Well, the,
1: the, the really big thing that's changed is uh, because so much of discovery is happening online that something as unsexy as metadata is probably right. more important than a lot of the other things that publishers invest in and do in marketing, for instance, I hate to say this, I came out of it, but advertising, for instance, is really not critical at all, at least until you have the wind at your back, you have a critical mass of attention on a book. But things like metadata and adjusting your metadata to things that happen either in current the current climate or just to make sure that you're you're doing it correctly and optimizing correctly to be discovered are critical because that's how people are looking.
0: So that's sort of two different things. One is getting your metadata right when you launch. Right. But then you said changing it over time. So that means really keeping an eye on your whole backlist and looking at, I mean, how many publishers do that? Well,
1: not many. They're all systematically looking for ways to do it better. Right. And some of them do do it quite well. You know, explain this to people. It's like, you know, if you got, if you went through all the energy to get the, the the quote or the review, right, and you put it on the back of the cover, printed, but then isn't linked anywhere else in, the, in, a, in a digital world. Where you're selling half your books. Yeah, you've lost the value of that quote. Now, to their credit, I don't think any publisher misses that opportunity. Right, But there are other things. Right, but but as
0: something new, like as the Me Too movement rises, exactly. how do you tie in an older book? Mm-hmm. That's so relevant I to that topic.
1: Was, I just was uh talking with the publisher of Chicago Review Press, who's uh mid-sized independent. Is that publisher. Cynthia? Yeah. Yeah, I know her yeah, you well. Know, yeah.
0: yeah. And
1: I was saying you have all these social justice books, you have a lot of books that deal with feminism. Have you gone back in and re them with me too? Right. She's like, Oh, that's a really good idea. I go, that's that's the type of things.
0: No, that's very smart. And meta getting the metadata right. You talked about I wanted to ask you about advertising because you mentioned that. And this is something that you know, as an independent publisher, I always eluded me what was going on here. You see these big ads in the New York Times for books. I can't imagine that their ROI on those are very good. You no, know, so you may correct me and tell me I'm wrong, but if I'm not wrong, I, I would think there's so many good ways to spend money. Why are you doing that? I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, and again, it, it turns out that probably the things that work better aren't quite as sexy as those big ads, and right. you often don't get the ROI on those. But the but they're great for impression. They're great for building a brand when you have a brand big enough. Right. And what they're really good at is, I don't know if I even saw it, but like I would have advertised Fire and Fury like mad during that time. I don't know if I did. And there were a lot of publishers who would be like, well, we have all this media, we have all this going on. I mean,
0: it was hard to get away from that book. No, I know,
1: but there's a moment in time that when it wasn't right. where there's a second tier of people who are just like, really, you haven't heard of this yet? Like, you and I wouldn't believe it. But you have to understand, and <laughs> publishers never get this, there's 350 million people <laughs> right. in this country. That's right. So when you sold a million copies, you really didn't get to that many. <laughs> that's right. That's So a good point. that's when, you know, they could have turned that to my, in my, I want to diss them. They did a great job, believe me, and they had to chase it. But, you know, I think that could have been the Harry Potter of nonfiction if you kept it going for another few months. Right. So. I don't know. Maybe and maybe that maybe they didn't. Maybe they realized you know they had squeezed it dry. And so many people are going to read. I don't know. There's only a few runaways. They don't happen every year. You can't predict them. But when you get something up to a million, in my experience, you can get it to two million.
0: And That's get very it to interesting.
1: Million. You can get it to four million if it's really really good. You know, so that a really big publisher, Random House is great at that, and those type of big publishers, and, um, and other people just, I think um, they don't. They, they forget that how many more people are out there. In the right.
0: And there's a, a velocity issue too. I mean, like I think about our book, The China Story. I'd love to hear your opinion about this. I think we probably printed 5,000 when it started. That book grew every year. It's now well over 2 million copies. So does that I mean like, can I sell 4 million or is that kind of possibly, slow, maybe? Possibly, you know, I mean, it's, it's we're, that We're moment still selling, you know, close to a thousand a week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I look back to- a long time ago with the Husseini's Hosseini's first book, which did really nicely in hard. Is that cover. the Kite Runner? Yeah. It took about a year for the paperback to find its audience. And at that time in the 90s when that was, that was unheard of for a publisher to keep a book going for that long. Right. Right. But they but did. They did. And now that's a, you know 10 or 20 or whatever, millions across the, the world. So there may be a moment in time for you to go and hit the hammer hard on that again, because right. it's always been sell more of what's selling.
0: Right, and we've been uh, working the cookbook angle, so we're a new edition of the cookbook, you know, so we're trying to build that brand over time, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. Now, I want to go back to what you said about, because this is something that fascinates me. Are you familiar with the Black Swan? Mm -hmm. Uh, seems to So, you know, that's, to me, that describes publishing. Mm -hmm. So you talked about, you know, these books, these rare books that just explode. And I look at, you know, I'll do, I do a little presentation where I look at all the our probability of our, we've done about 450 books. Well, if you take out the top five, I don't think we have a business. <laughs> you know, that's that's how, you know, yeah. that's how black swan it is. And, right. and for those who aren't familiar with black swan, black swan is basically saying there's a small number of data points or whatever it is that are, whatever you're talking about. And I'm talking about, let's say book sales, there's a small number of data points that dominate the whole pie. And those, you know, so it's the Harry Potters of the world, the Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, and it's, and I was thinking, is it just us as a little publisher? But no, I'll see, you know, a, a huge house will say, oh, we didn't have a Fifty Shades of Grey book this season. So we, you know, our profits are off. So it, it's at every level, there's those rare books. So given that those are so impossible to predict, is it the job of marketing to figure out when they're happening versus spotting them up front? It's some of both. And okay. I think, that
1: now you're finding that also really good publishers are trying to identify even a big publisher, one or two major opportunities far, far out in advance that they can really stage an awareness campaign to build. And I'm gonna go back to the word of mouth thing now. That I mean, if they have a debut fiction author and I'll give you an example, there should be fine be talking about it because it's really positive. Right. But, um, well, Random House did Lilac Girls a couple of years ago. and They've actually replicated this with another book this year, but they took the time, even I think delaying the publication by a season to go out and get the reads on the book in advance. And by that, I mean, and we do this too. When I was at Penguin, you want to, you want to get your influencers involved, right? And some of them, you, you want to get them involved as early as possible. So for that, I would mean maybe there's, 10 or 12 real tastemakers, both in the book industry trade, and maybe a couple of librarians that you know, and maybe a few key media people, right? And they get a bound manuscript with a handwritten note from an editor saying, you're really, really going to like this. right? And then a couple months later, you're printing up your bound manuscripts with just the typeface on the front. And then those are maybe going to 100 people that are also really important, but sort of the next tier that you want to reach, right? right? And then maybe another few months down the road, you're making a galley with a cover on, a color cover that has a little bit more, a deeper penetration, goes to more media, more bookstores, and even, you know, Goodreads or other type of, uh, you know, consumer reader giveaways. So by the time a book like Violet Girls published, they had 3,000 pre-orders for it. So it's very, very difficult to do for a debut author that doesn't have any sort of platform like that. But you built it up through these tastemakers,
0: and they saw they had something special in that right. book because right. you can't do that for every book. You have to really be yeah, selective, and get the shot.
1: right? And then they don't all work. We don't know the ones that they try. That's, that right. That that's right. That's right. That's right. Probably it's probably I don't know. It's probably hopefully they get one or two right a year. That's what they're, they're banking on. But you, you said what most publishers always said: we published ten
0: books. And one of them is one of them works. You know, for us, you know, if a book sells 10, 20,000 copies we're very happy, you know, we consider that work, that's a successful mm-hmm. book, but it's funny because the book that hits 20,000, sometimes will hit 100,000. And it's, those are the rare ones that, you know- And make that's harder,
1: work. I think, to also to gauge, I mean, but you always want to have a feedback loop where you're watching this and you're seeing what's happening. And if you see if you got a little momentum, even if it's at a smaller scale, that's when, that's when it's really important to keep the marketing going. And that's right. when maybe, you know, I said- about advertising that's when it's possibly most effective and also the types of advertising that work better things like um even on facebook for instance which aren't quite as glamorous as you know a big glossy magazine right, or, but you can
0: be much more niche
1: yep and you can spend a lot more uh efficiently right and um, and they, and those things do work too at least for right now we'll see what happens when facebook's cachet starts to fall
0: <laughs> right but we we do a lot of that and especially we know we'll do boosting of an author's promotions because right. that's the exact target market right. book. And right. So let, let me actually talk about target marketing because when you say word of mouth, well, one of the things that I talk about like a bonfire. You know, all the work we do is kindling, and those logs are word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And if those logs are dry, it's a beautiful experience. If the logs are wet, it's very it's very hard to make money on the selling yeah. through the kindling. Right. <laughs> right. But different logs are wet for different people. So, you know, for Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, that's a wet log for me. Yeah. So where is the role of, you know, you, like you talk about influencers and, you know, getting books out to, you know, the early readers, but that's all sort of in the industry. But what about all the niche books? Let me back up and then I'll try to lead you. What's your thought about finding the target market for the book and how you've thought about that at mm-hmm. your previous work?
1: You know, I think every, every book you have to start with an audience, um, and, and, and you have to separate up somewhat fiction and nonfiction. You will have to separate them a lot. But starting with fiction, that audience is a lot broader. Right. So that, that whole effort is, is, a, is a lot different. But there are ways to find uh, certain genre readers and their tools that publishers use, you know, Galleon, Goodreads, and things like that. But the other thing is that you can, uh, and I tell this to publicists a lot, you know, it's one way of using social media. It's not necessarily that you're you're trying to do the broadcasting. Right. But you're trying to do the connecting with that influencer, right? That's right. Especially so, Twitter is great for that. Exactly. And the really good publicists that I see have developed a voice and relationships on Twitter where they're just authorities either about a type of book, which is really kind of what I'm getting at right. you, right? If you're a cookbook person or a gardening or it's it's more niche, like keto, or whatever. And some of them do it with, I think, very like diversity fiction. They do it really well. So they find those people, they become the voice of that, that community. And they talk about all books that are in right. that area, not right. just their own. Right. And then when the time comes, they're able to get the ask from somebody who's big in that area to talk about their book as well. So it's um it's a way of, of, I think of using social more as as the connecting part instead of really just the media part.
0: Now that makes a lot of sense. You know, one thing that seems to be more new is now the authors themselves have a lot more market power relative to the publisher. And I think very often when an author reaches out to someone on Twitter, they are going to get a better response than some anonymous publicist. So what are you seeing about the balance between what the author ought to be doing and what the publisher ought to be doing these days in marketing?
1: Well, you want the author to do as much as possible, right? You know, and you want to be there for them and to support them and also to try to guide them. But the reality is that people, authors that are good on social, have probably figured that out already. You know, you don't have to do a lot of guidance for them, right? But it is, it is. uh, You're absolutely right. I mean, I I told people this too. I, I wish that more editors would try to do this because they have a vaulted status. In this world, right, a publicist or a marketer too, because they know we're selling. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right. The editors are, are seen as at least more authentic. More, yeah, yeah, and the writer is also the most most authentic in a lot of cases. He's he's best able to get the ask, and I think you have to look at that almost case by case basis. You know, who's who's the best person to to, right. to have this ask? You know, I was I was just talking to somebody with a big big best selling author. I won't say, but said you should have her send this package to so-and-so, you know, don't let it come from the publisher in this case. And it's somebody like, really, this is a big, I'm like, okay. you know, everyone likes to know that they're treated a little bit special once in a while. That's right. And that's, that's a right. good way of doing it. So just don't put her return address on. It. That's right. Yeah.
0: But I've, I've seen that when the author reaches out, even to media, sometimes they'll, mm. they'll really like yeah. that. Um, it if it's well the right person. Media, a lot. I mean, yeah. you know,
1: other big organizations are not, they're just not equipped to handle that much volumes, right. but, um, but certainly on a lot of the niche publications and the, and the smaller general media and even some NPRs, if you have, especially your locals, you, a lot of people have good relationships there. Or I mean, authors, you know, that they can do it themselves too.
0: So, you know, one thing I hear from authors a lot, um, and I even hear it from some agents, is that publishers don't do marketing anymore or they aren't very good at marketing or some combination mm-hmm. of the two. Is there any, is that, is, there, is that fair at all or is it just a misperception?
1: <laughs> right. be fair. Right. um I think that there are like I said a lot of the things that a publisher is doing are things that people don't really think about or think that are that important like making sure that all of that metadata is is right right and all of the distribution channels have it at the right time and these things <laughs> that I think other people probably take for granted that are super important if you ever want to be you know really successful because just simply a book can't run if it's out of stock. That's you right. Know? That's right. So, um, and
0: all those things but are- But they don't think of that as marketing.
1: Except that, and I just had this conversation with someone, if your marketing person, isn't in the feedback loop of operations and sales, it's pointless because they don't always know that right, out of right, stock or what's right. happening or, or they have to tell you that a big hit is coming. And some, it's shocking to me that some publishers- Smaller ones haven't closed that loop together, right? And I, I, um, I would think
0: that's almost yeah. an advantage of a small publisher yeah. is that everyone's talking. And, yeah, uh, you would, but sometimes people forget.
1: But I think, um, and then the other thing I think that um, that that marketers, good marketers, should do, like I said, is be able to prioritize. This is more of a company goal, but you know to prioritize right. and pick those shots and know how to galvanize attention for it for the longest period of time.
0: You know. Right. And, you know, and, you know, part of the challenge in marketing, um, there's a million of them, but one of them is, you know, we know there's the black swan. We know that some books are going to be, you know, 5% of your books, 10% of your books are going to be worth all the rest. So you should focus on that in one in one sense, but on the other sense, every author expects and deserves to be treated with, you know, respect and, and their book given every chance. So there's a, Temptation to spread out your marketing, you know, like peanut butter across right, the books. Right. How do you resolve that? How did you guys resolve that at Penguin? Well,
1: it was reality and perception is part right. of it. But the reality I was saying is if you do a lot of those basic things well, listen, the publisher wants to make money as much as the author. So if you do a lot of these basic things well and the author's doing their part and the book's responding, the publishers, absolutely the smart ones are going to go back and and lay it on and help to try to sell more so but the reality is at the start of the process, there are a B's and C's you know, right there of course. is there is a hierarchy, and I guess it's helpful to be realistic about that, and it's also good to have you know good agents that push so that this right. wheel gets a bit more grease, but i I try to balance even with my own clients between you know a realistic expectation because i don't want the publisher to spend a ton of money on something i know is not going to work which a lot of people would push, right. right. to push for the wrong things <laughs> right. where i sell them just i hope they you know please make a lot of galleys you know right please make sure the metadata is right like these are the things i want to, the to really focus bas- on the first. basics and then and then a lot of authors like you say have platforms where they can do a lot of that 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 lifting and of course then it'll seem like i did everything right but these other things,
0: as if they're connecting them well, the publisher's connecting them well and you're communicating all this stuff with them then you're going to sell them. And of course, the other side of it is that you've got your A, B's and C's but sometimes you've got a C that turns out to be an A+. Mm-hmm. And you know, paying attention to that and, really and realizing that's happening yeah. is key.
1: Yeah, I think most of the publishers are really good at that now. Right. I think they find this, there's so much data and feedback on what's selling and how quickly it's selling. Um, as a marketer, I always tell people, you know, you're your ad hoc way is just to, to bookmark uh, movers and shakers and, you know, monitor that to see what media is affecting the sale of what book. But any big publisher has daily sales and other things right. they need to look at to see what's popping or what's moving and knowing that what you're doing is working. You know, if you're even on uh, simply, sorry to say, like um, we're we'll talking about Facebook ads, which are um, extremely important to keep. Uh, monitoring, right. and adjusting, but you can see if this thing is working, if the effect that you have at work is working, and if you should be branching out further and and trying to do more. you know works uh, on almost any level of marketing
0: if uh, if you have the if you know something's working, keep pushing right. yeah now, do you see missed opportunities out there in among publishers and what they could be doing marketing wise as things evolve?
1: You know, I just think that people. Forget about the basics, which is right. it's about a galley. It's about getting people to read it. And I used to uh, frustrate me. Now there are, and I don't. I don't use it because uh, I'm not on that side. But there's services like Net Galley, and I know Edelweiss uh, lets you post galleys. Right, we use all galleys. that. Right. You know, I go back to it when I had first started. We would, if you wanted to blow out a book, you printed five thousand ARCs. You sent a bunch to DEA or ABA or right. whatever. You stuffed a bunch more in jiffies and sent them all over the country. It costs $20,000. Right, right, right. And now you can actually put up a digital galley. And if you can get the word out and get people to pick it up, which is harder because it's not physical, but you know, outside, out of mind, but you can do that all for relatively nothing, but it's not relatively nothing. You need the effort, the time to get them that's to right. read it. And, but that's still
0: going to be more effective than some of the other things that you're doing. People kind of, I think sometimes forget. No, that, make, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. So, the way I think of it, we almost dodged the first wave. That first wave where ebooks were coming, and we thought, okay, this uh, could drain all the money out of the system. But it turns out um, sales were relatively flat, maybe went down a little bit. But profitability actually went up for a lot of publishers because of the ebook margins and how that worked out. Do you see another wave coming? Do you worry about BNN? I always worry about BNN. Right. <laughs> we all do. Um, yes. And
1: knock on wood. Longer than I've even thought. Yeah, right, when, right, right. When's that shoe going to drop? But um, no, I think what the, like I said, the positive thing I think is what's happening with the independence is, you know, the, the thing that is the, the fight for books is always really at this point, fight for mindshare with all the other, you know, uh, entertainment options right. out there. And there are ways, there are reasons to be encouraged because it seems as if teens are reading at a pretty good level. That that suggests that the market will will be there when they grow. That's right. Um, but someone was asking me recently if I worried about it or if I thought it. Would, it's the news about Spotify this week. If the books would go to a subscription model, and I think that would be horrible, right? Um, because it's not an all-you-can-eat type of category. You can't eat that much.
0: <laughs> you know, there's not much time. But, I mean, that and, really can't happen you know, unless the exactly. publishers decide to do it. Right or somebody's going to lose a lot of money trying to make it happen. Right. Right. So that's, you know, I think that's an unfounded fear. Right. I don't know. I don't see,
1: you know, unless there's something dramatic that happens with Amazon and, and, um, and the way that they, uh, promote and handle eBooks, I mean, they're going to continue to inch up and take a little bit more, a little bit more. And I think everyone has to be diligent to fight for their own. Right. But if all things remain somewhat, you know, stable, I would, I don't have a big fear that this is, we're going to see another collapse
0: anything of, of reading. It's good to hear. Let's say you've got, you, you sign a new author and they're, you know, they're two years away from having a manuscript ready. So it's early in the process, but they said, you know, Rick, we, I want to build my platform so that I'm ready when my book comes out in three years. <laughs> uh, what would you tell them to do? What's most important? I don't make anybody start the platform until they <laughs> finish their book, or okay. at least most of it. So really, so you don't advise them to start working on it early. No, no, because the book's more important. Right. And especially especially with new authors
1: sometimes get a little bit too excited about the marketing. You know, right. I keep telling them, the best marketing is to give me the best book. But other than that, once they do, or once I feel comfortable, or we've had a bit of relationship for a while, like for, for fiction writers, mm-hmm. I tell them the really simplest, and really, I guess it works for everything, but it works better for fiction. Uh, the simplest thing is to start building your your brand on the networks that are that are free, like Goodreads. Which means all you do is go on there and start reviewing the books that you've read, right? Because you want to have many. Uh, the more books you have, the more your own. That's a good
0: idea. Really get out there,
1: and if you happen to have a social media platform that you use and you like and you feel that you're pretty good at. And that could change for different authors. You know, nonfiction is probably more Twitter, just to be uh, simplistic, and fiction is probably more Facebook. But then I would work with them on how to organically build that, and also, more importantly, to build those same relationships that I was saying.
0: With um, those influencers.
1: Yeah, that the, the publishers should. See, we, I mean, and we- for all... writers, and for not, sorry, last thing, for nonfiction yeah, writers, I tell them just keep writing and getting, you know, getting published with your name. In, in various articles and they go, maybe you'll get, maybe you'll hit a black swan. maybe you'll pop That's right. And go viral. That's right. But that's the way
0: a nonfiction writer or really even fiction too, but mostly nonfiction for their, their writer's platform. And what I was going to say is, you know, for us, you know, it's all nonfiction. So that's what I think about more. And very often, these are people with deep expertise. So, you know, they often have, you know, a Twitter following or, or right. something like that, that's really based on their expertise. And that's always very positive when you're launching the book. Exactly. Back. And
1: like I said, it's just really, if they have that, then work with them on a couple of those key things that I mentioned to help them build it, make it stronger during that time.
0: Right. So talk to me about the transition to becoming an agent. Mm-hmm. That had to be pretty dramatic. Yeah, it was. I
1: remember um, my wife is also in the business. And she's an editor. And she goes, the hell do you want to do that? For? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I guess it goes back to probably what I said is that, you know, getting into publishing, I always wanted to be closer to the books. I thought about editing. Right. Um, I used to write a lot and I used to be in different writing groups. So I felt like I wasn't afraid of trying to edit if that was, you know, part right. of the thing Because it's a big part of it, a little a bit more than I even knew, because um, you have to get things a lot tighter now because the competition's tougher, especially in fiction. So. Um, but the, the, the transition for me has been really, really fun because anybody at a big house right now, I mean, we're all busy and I, and I get that in every industry is busy, but because of the, just the realities of what's happened in the book publishing industry, there's just less people working there. They are busier. They're not lying. Right. <laughs> That's right. And I said to somebody, until you get sort of knocked off that treadmill of what you're doing every day. It, I was having a little bit of harder time seeing the bigger picture, you know, and right. once I got off, I saw it, so I think I said this to you, I said, I saw all of these small, smaller independent publishers with a lot of opportunity and knowing that I was sort of starting this on the ground floor, it's probably the people I'd be working with, Right. you know, I, right. I, I, said, I said to somebody, if I get James Comey's book, I'd be really happy to sell it, but I don't <laughs> right. know him and I'm not a professional. Right. But there's a lot of opportunity in the building phase, and that's still fun, especially it was for me as a marketer. It still is now, so I've only been doing this a little over a year, so my books are just starting to hit market right and now it's it's really it's fun for me to be able to do kind of both things, you know, and like I tell the writers I'm like there's not a publisher who's going to be able to you know b s me on this stuff I know what I know what every uh uh every, uh, excuses, I know what <laughs> right. every, every, uh, you know, vagueness means and all these things. So I'll make sure that's that you can
0: that. translate yes. for the poor author about what the publisher's yes. really saying. Yes. Oh, that's great. You know, um, what kinds of writers are you looking for? What's, what's, yeah, what you you focus know, I,
1: I really was focused initially on nonfiction and things like business. And I would say, you know, idea books and also narratives and then what I found is the more projects, especially that I would seek out to try to put together, those take quite a bit of time. And novels come to you whole, right? So if you can find some that are that are good that don't need a ton of work, I've been supplementing and doing that, and I've been enjoying it. So I have a few thriller writers. I'm really kind of seeing more in that area. It's it's a shame. And my my wife said this too. I had a whole career with romance. I know more about romance fiction <laughs> than any. Male probably should, right?
0: right. But, um,
1: it wouldn't be a business <laughs> I would get into now, mostly because I really don't want to spend. I I just don't want. I don't enjoy reading those books. It's not a right. right thing. But um, but I do still consult with writers uh, on marketing. So, you know, I get it. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, I think that's one of the nice things about being an agent. Honestly, yeah. even for me as a publisher, uh, you know, if it's if I don't want to read it, you don't it's, have to. Right, it's yes. hard to get motivated. That too. is
1: that is really the the beautiful thing. Um, you know. Occasionally you'll go after a project that you don't exactly love because maybe there's a relationship there that you want to cultivate for somebody else, Whatever. Right. But but for the most part, no. I've just been and it's funny, it's harder, it's also difficult because some of the things I'm interested in or really like, especially fiction wise, are not really that viable. Right. And I have to separate my taste from that too. But there's plenty of stuff. Like I'm like I said, I'm a big thriller fan and I worked on a lot of Thrillers in my career, so I love to try to find new thriller writers and work with them and build them.
0: You know, and what's wonderful about that genre is, if you do have a hit, that it tends to have some sticking power. Yeah, you know, you can you have a series and it. Yeah, it's funny. I
1: was uh, I tell people when they ask me what are people looking for, and I say they all say they don't want the next girl book, but they still want the next girl right, right um, in that genre. So I say, what's great is that you don't know. Thing is going to come, you know. You could have a room full of quants trying to figure out what the next trend in fiction is going to be, and they would never figure it out.
0: So, so in, in the end, you have to go with your gut. You do,
1: you do, and then you have to get somebody whose voice is resonating that a lot of other people think it's great too. I think it's harder in genre now because for me, what I've seen in fiction, a lot of the things that are breaking out are more literary, which is really nice to see, um, because that's where I think a lot of the influences, tastemakers are. Um, there are a lot. Of people still left in the genre world but you might not they might not be as prominent in the in the media world or even in the social
0: you know it's funny i grew up in the reading science fiction and and that was it almost Mm -hmm. seemed like it was a golden age and and now the media you know and there was nothing in movies and television now it's saturated with science fiction but it doesn't seem like it's done the books any any good
1: yeah i guess because uh You need to be a superhero or something.
0: Right, right. You
1: know, it's interesting. I remember many years ago meeting the head of uh, DC publishing here in New York, John Levitz, I believe his name was. Okay. And he was telling me one of the joys of working in that business was you got to, you know, work with all this, this great, this great, fantastical content and all the parent company wanted you to do, not so easy. He's like, kick me up a Wolverine every 10 years. (laughs) Right, right. And I guess at that time, not that it was easy, but for DC or Marvel, they had a bit of a machine that would say, okay, we get your Wolverine every 10 years. Right. And, that was all, and everything else, they published hundreds of other things that were bizarre and niche. And so it is out there, but it's still, it's like everything else. It's an all or nothing game. You have to be in the top one in town. I, I've always found this interesting, like some of the biggest things that have come out in, in books, in, in popular books, things that have been runaways like Game of Thrones. Or fifty shades. Right. Or as as, as you know, as genres as they come. Well, that's true. You know? And you have to remember, and I worked on Charlene Harris's True Blood and both of those I love that artists, those got picked before the TV shows. They blew up after right. the TV shows. But you know, we still love that stuff. You know? Right. And, right. and um and that's why it, it bothers me to see that some publishers seem to be shying away from these things. Not all, because that that's where the next one's gonna come from.
0: You know. Yeah, it's funny. There's this, seems to be there's a stuff that's really in the ghetto, and then there's stuff that's exactly. sort of, tr- you know, transcends. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you find writers? What's <laughs> the guy <laughs> well, mentioned a lot of competition for good writers? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and not a lot of
1: competition for bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> No, right. it's funny. Somebody, said, I asked the same question when I started. They said, honestly, once you put up the shingle, they're going to start coming because they find you so many. I always tell people, like, oh, I wish as many people wanted to read a book as they wanted. <laughs> That's, the right. <laughs> That's right. Especially fiction comes that way, but other uh, the other things that you, you do get a lot of unsolicited queries. But um, it's it's now what I find, and it's it's more interesting. But I say it's more, it's harder work. Is you know, I try to find a project or think of a project. Sometimes it's idea based. Sometimes it's writer based. I have a couple of political thoughts on books that I'm working on right now that I'm trying to find the right writer for, um, seeing if they want to do it because I think it'll be right for the for the moment. Well, that's got to be really fun where you it conceptualize. Yeah, 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 that's so, right. Um, but it's a little bit of both, you know. Some of it's that that push, and some of it's just the incoming of what's what people are bringing in with their ideas.
0: Now, these, I know a lot of the agents that I talk to, you know, they also have to compete with Mm self-publishing, especially when they're an author with a big platform. They were like, well, why do I even need a publisher? What's your view on the whole self-publishing thing?
1: Well, it's sort of what I started with, which it said, and it's a bit of a conundrum, but if you want to be a big commercial bestseller, you need retail. Right. And if you want to be in retail, you kind of have to be a big commercial bestseller. So <laughs> right, you have this kind of right. conundrum. But the thing is, you're not getting into Walmart as a self publisher unless you happen to be a uh, Hugh Howie and maybe you know you've done a really excellent job of this one. In- That's right. Because they just don't take it. So not that every book you want to get in Walmart. But I, I think I think uh, distribution is a big thing. I think here's the I this is what I because I have a writer like this. He self published. Um, a business book that he's done fairly well with and now he's getting interest from foreign publishers and he goes, Now what do I do? Right. I'm like, I'll oh, you know, I'll try to help you with it. But it's uh, you know, what if you if you happen to be lucky enough to do well <laughs> right and you're screwed because you really because the other thing is that most publishers don't want to take those on anymore unless they were fifty shades, because they feel like oh, well, the sale's gotten out of that. There really right. is a huge animosity between, you know, self pub and traditional, which is another kind of funny thing that I, even when I was still working there, I really tried to bridge because it's almost like they ignore that it's there, right? <laughs> and it's there. And in some cases it's eating your lunch. So you have to, you have to be aware
0: of it. And, and, and you're saying it's eating the traditional publisher's yeah, lunch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone has their own views on this. I mean, what I say, you know, when I, when I give talks, whatever, and people ask me about self-publishing, I like to say, I mean, it's kind of an exaggeration, but it's like Every book is self-published. The question is whether you're going right. to do it all yourself or you're going right. to partner with a publisher to take some of it off your plate. And they're going to charge you a big chunk of the money to yeah. do that. And That's are they going to add point. more value? But you don't want to think about it as, here's my book publisher, good luck with it. You, have, you want to have, especially for especially for nonfiction, you want to think through, here's how I can make that book successful. Here's why it's going to win in the marketplace. Now, do I want to hire you, publisher, to work with me on it? Because you're going to add more value than you take or am I gonna do it on my own? I, I think that's absolutely
1: right. And actually I've said this to a lot of writers, uh, do you really like marketing? Do you like distribution? Do you like all those things? Because that's all, that, all that stuff is really important. You know, If you wanna focus on the, on the writing, all right, no writer, uh, no, no career writer really wants to, to focus right. on anything other than the writing. of It's usually, that's kinda of what I said before, it's usually debuts who have all these wonderful ideas and everything. Slow down, slow down. Let's get the
0: book done right. first. I like successfully self-published books if they weren't, if it wasn't like they didn't just mind their own audience and then it's done. If they're right. showing some traction, right. you know, we have a three of them like that that where they had sold, you know, in the five figures and now they're into the six figures with us That's as published. Yeah. And so I think the publisher, you know, can do some things, but also those books probably would have continued having momentum on their own. But I think you know for there's a lot of things, you know, retail being the biggest, right. but also some, you know, marketing perspectives and some professionalism and, you know, that it's hard for an author to do it, particularly when they're doing 10 other things as right. well. They're running a business, they're yeah. a doctor. And what you, you know. see
1: now, I've, or at least I've seen, is that there's several authors are veteran authors who have now almost started cooperatives of, of publishers where they have, you know, six or eight writers that they work with that they help to... You know, get their books ready, production wise, right. and all that other stuff, and then getting them out in the marketplace. Tucker Max, for instance, is a
0: company that does right. book in so, a box.
1: So there's, uh, there's been all of these, you know, these gaps in the market that have been filled by lots of people providing services to help people with that. But the other thing is, at the end of the day, I think if you really, there's no question, media takes you know uh, publishers uh, books more seriously, right? Um, and especially on the larger media. So um, if you really want to have, if you have aspirations of being more commercially successful, uh, I don't think self-publishing is usually the way to go. It's good to hear that you guys and some publishers are open to, to doing that, because most of the ones here in New York, I, I, if they had self-published, I usually had to hide it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little hard to hide yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't take it down. I mean, six <laughs> months before I said
0: it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, it's, but it's only if it's yeah. success. Right. And if it, only right. if it has showing ongoing momentum. And yes. then you're yeah. like, well, you know, then they did a lot of work for you because right. really every book launch is a market test. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it
1: is. It used to be the market test was in hardcover. And then if it did really well, you'd <laughs> print a right. million for paperback. Yeah, know? exactly.
0: <laughs> now, what are your thoughts on? Um, I know this is always. And it was a little controversial in terms of uh, ebooks and royalty rates and to me the royalty structure, you know which basically i you know I do the industry model unless we're doing a profit share. but it always seemed to me bizarre that the you know the publishers are guessing about what the book is worth. if they're wrong and they overpay, then the publisher, then the author gets a big win. but if they're right and the author earns out, then that author does. Is, is really subsidizing the ones that they were wrong about. Right, and right. the whole system just seems kind of bizarre. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: but I do think it's, it's starting right. to change a little bit because publishers are, like I said, it's all or nothing. So, so they're offering a lot, a lot less on a lot of books so that the risk is already more with, uh, with the author. It's right. I even mean, pushing more of it there. And, and, and some of them, the good ones, while they're doing that, may escalate royalties. Uh, so you're it, seeing I, more I
0: flexibility on royalty rights? On, on ones that can do it, you know, right.
1: ones that aren't bound legally not to. But yes, I am. Actually, And now that I think of it, they have been creative ways that have worked with big fives so on.
0: Now, what do you mean bound legally not to?
1: Uh, agency pricing, things like that. That's some of them uh, are uh, able okay. to um, offer. But I, I was just thinking about that, and I don't think that's actually uh, the case. I don't right. think they have that issue with the, with the author.
0: Now, I thought some of the big houses had these like most favored nation clauses in their contracts so that if they would have to match it, if they did and and that's got to be sort of paralyzing if that's true. I
1: think that's still the case. Right. Um, Again, I've been out of that that loop for um, a little while. And to be honest, I was just talking to somebody. They say, as soon as you stop negotiating with Amazon for one year, you start the next year. That is correct. um, (laughs) And I, I just from I know, my hunches that not everybody, you know, well, I know and not everyone's negotiations are the same. So, um, but I think, I think that clause is still.
0: What you have to pay Amazon is distinct from what you pay the authors. Obviously it's right, connected because right, you only right, have so much left over. Right. but. I mean, I think that's how they're all, when you say, well, how they're doing their pay at all, that's mostly what they're thinking about. Right. <laughs> <tonight>. right, right. <laughs> to some extent, I mean, I think about this too, in a world. That, you know, if we, if we're moving to a world that's dominated by Amazon, I think nobody wants that, but if we do, and by dominated, I mean, you know, it's 80% of the market or something. What's it now, two thirds? You know, I think, you know, for us, it's like 55 to 60%. And so in that world where, so one, I think marketing becomes more important because what you used to say to authors is, well, we do all this great stuff, but you need us for distribution. Mm -hmm. And if you don't really need right. me for distribution, I'm only 20 you know that's only 20 yeah. percent, then you really need me for marketing, right. but a lot of publishers are not in a good shape to say that because the reputation is they're not that good at marketing, right yeah, <laughs> so yeah. this is why you know marketing is a big focus for us, yeah. and the other is you know cost structure. you know Amazon can continue squeezing, and they will, but they have to stop you know if your cost structure is, is lower, they're going to have to stop above you, yes, because you know they're I don't think they want to put all the publishers out of business because um, it's not a great leverageable business no, for no, a company and, and like and Amazon
1: that, to be exactly. in. Exactly. And, it, you know, all those margins are getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> that's right, it's that's right. For this, you know, a couple of percentage. Yeah, go back to the independence and the printed books and the idea that this is, I forget, maybe four to six percent of the business, but a very influential four to six percent. Right. Because that's part of that influencer group that if you make something there it starts to you know can pop out to other areas and other markets so
0: and you know maybe a little evidence of of the importance of retail is you know you look at the amazon imprints yeah i think they've done less well than people were forecasting Mm -hmm. because they you know haven't been able to get into stores i think it's still a real challenge for them
1: and it will be for a while to really break everything out you do see occasionally i think some of the uh, merchandisers like the big boxes rather, right. like a Costco or something. will carry some of those books, but you're rarely going to see them in independent. If <laughs> <you're either.
0: laughs> right. And you're not going to see them in BN. No, that's for that's sure. Right. Yeah. Now, when you've got a book that you're excited about that you're bringing to market, do you view the publishers as having you know, different sets of skills and expertise and you're trying to fit the book to that? Or, or do you view them as kind of fungible and it's really about the money? I mean, it's some of both because if you don't have anybody who wants to buy it, then you don't right, have anybody. Right, so, that's right. right. But, um, but but if so no, you have like competitors yeah, you,
1: you certainly have in your mind who you would ideally think would be the best uh, editor and publisher for a, for a book, or maybe not always, but a lot of times. And and to be honest, there are more often than not more than one. Right. You know, and I could often and and pros and cons to many. So, and again, I think the really good thing is that when I have a project, I can usually. Think about eight or 10 people or places that I think you would be good at. And then you could even develop the list a, a little bit further and sometimes be surprised and people I don't know and also like their. You know, right, so right. I think that there's you know, a bit of both, but I think that more often than not, I know, you know I would sit down with Alex and with some of the other agents and be able to say, who would be good for this? And that's really, really important. That's all. And,
0: and when you're saying who would be good for this, are you saying who is likely to want to buy it? Or are you saying who would do a great job if they yeah. published it? And who would do a great job? Okay. If they publish it? Yeah. I mean,
1: I, uh, the other part has to come. It, that's right. That's right. That they have to
0: want it. it. That's oh, right. Yeah, it's
1: disappointing. I mean, I've had a book, you know, I've had books that I thought would be perfect for someone and I talked to them about it, but sometimes timings and everything. So if it takes six months for the writer to write the book and that editor bought another book in that, that field. right. Right. I right. missed my shot.
0: That's know? right. So, that's right. It's, uh, and then you go, okay, but there are other people that I thought. would be perfect, so. All right. Well, where do you see the, you know, and it's always hard to predict the future, but what what do you see as the trends? Where do you see publishing going? I'd like to think,
1: because I always say that there's a pendulum swing, and you see it now with, I think, a lot of the best-selling fiction that's breaking out, right, being certainly more diverse and targeting audiences that weren't even really, uh, if they were there, they weren't as visible 20 years ago. And I think that there's still a lot of, uh, when I say the panelists when I say that, that there's still a lot of growth for, for new diverse voices in fiction, for sure. Right. Prescriptive nonfiction, uh, doesn't seem to be really going away or suffering. I, I would look at bestseller lists and a lot of things that you do with health and wellness and cookbooks. Right. There was
0: a time when we said the internet's going to take all that away. And it didn't. It's, right. it's
1: interesting. It really didn't. So
0: if this was an
1: alternate world and somehow everything was digital first, right, and then somebody invented paper later, I think we would have had the same excitement about that discovery because you'd be like, look, I can have it all, <laughs> there's right. one thing, I can keep it in my hand, I can take it to the beach, it gets wet, it doesn't matter, you know. It's almost like, it's, it's very fascinating to me that it's sort of almost settled in the middle. You <laughs> yeah, it know, does seem like it's an equilibrium, 50. yeah. And like I said, with kids, it seems in the younger generation, they like print anyway. So I don't think that it's going to go away. But I also have, again, in my science fiction head, think that there'll be a delivery system one day where they just put a chip in your head. (laughs) and That's how you get the book or the audio, you know?
0: (laughs) And Amazon will be running ads (laughs) on it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. You
1: think about something and Alexa delivers it. All
0: right, well, Rick, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. This was great. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Building Books podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to it or share it on social media. If you're an author who wants to submit a proposal or pitch to Ben Bella Books, please go to benbellabooks.com, click on the For Prospective Authors button, and I'll lead you through a little form that makes it real easy to submit to us. Thank you.